This evening's reading is from Habakkuk chapter 2, which can be found on page 940 in the Church Bibles. That's Habakkuk chapter 2. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, Write down the the revelation and make it plain on the tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time, if it speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He's arrogant and never at rest, because he is as greedy as the grave and, like death, is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey, because you have plundered many nations. The peoples who are left will plunder you, for you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities, and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out, And the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labour is only fuel for the fire? That the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbours, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you have shed human blood, you have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman, or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver, there is no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth be silent before him. This is the word of God. Thank you, Hannah, for reading that so well. Uh, Let me add my welcome to that of Kevin. Uh, Do keep uh, Habakkuk 2 open as we look at it together. Uh, It's a a long time since my GCSEs and A-level exams, about 20 years ago. uh, I I probably was sitting those. 
And uh, I do remember some vital words from our teachers, crucial words that uh, were sort of meant to be drilled into us to help us. Uh, Again and again, they would say, read the question again, read the question again, read the question again. Have you got it? Read the question again. See, our teachers wanted these words etched into our minds. Uh, judging by my, some of my school results, uh, I'm not quite sure that message quite got through. <laughs> well, we have some words here in Habakkuk 2 that the Lord wants etched into our minds. Not to prepare us for an exam, but to prepare us for the rest of our lives. These words, the righteous person will live by faith, or in our Bibles, by his faithfulness. Uh, This is really two sides of the same coin, and we're going to see that as we go through a little later. Uh, As we begin, let's pray for God's help. Father God, we do pray that you would indeed help us. Help us, we pray. Speak your words into our hearts and minds. May we understand this evening that statement of what it means for the righteous person will live by faith. Give us clarity, we pray, and may it spur us on and help us to persevere in our Christian lives. For your glory's sake, amen. Now, it's good that we get ourselves up to speed with the book of Habakkuk. We seem to be doing this every time we come to a new book in this series, but it's a good thing to do. Uh, Habakkuk concerns the kingdom of Judah, uh, and it's only a few years before, prior to the Jewish exile. At this time, life in Judah is very bleak. Uh, The nations was miles away from where it should have been. It should have been a kingdom of peace, and yet it was a kingdom of violence. Injustice reigned supreme. And Habakkuk cries out, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? How long are you going to let this carry on? Lord, please do something about it. And God replies, I'm about to do something. Look, watch. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians. And then Habakkuk replies, God, why on earth would you do that? The Babylonians are even more wicked than those living in Judah. It seems a very strange way to exercise your judgment. But Habakkuk decides to watch and wait and see how the Lord might answer him. And as we come to chapter 2, God answers Habakkuk's uh, plea, his complaint. uh, Chapter 2, verse 2, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. God says, publish this message. Make it nice and simple and clear, and available to all. 
This is public reading in public places. It's like a, a daily newspaper, uh, maybe the Metro or the Evening Standard you get at the beginning of the end of the day if you have to commute into town. This was a message to be spoken and proclaimed. Uh, and the main content of this message is from verses 6 to 20. But verses 4 and 5, they, they serve as an introduction. And at the heart of this introduction are, are three words, uh, three words in the original Hebrew, which is this. The righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Now, this is a timeless statement. It takes us to the very heart of Habakkuk. Indeed, it takes us to the very heart of the Old Testament scriptures. In the Jewish Talmud, uh, the text which, uh, can, that's the, the text which contains uh, rabbinic sayings and writings. It records the saying of a third century rabbi called Simla. And he noted that Moses gave 613 commands. Habakkuk condenses those commands to just one. The righteous person shall live by faith. Now this teaching is also right at the very heart of the New Testament. Uh, these words are quoted three times, which doesn't often happen. Uh, we get it in Romans, in Galatians, and in Hebrews. You see, these are words that God wants etched into our minds. The righteous person will live by faith, by his faithfulness. So, think about it when we get back from church. Uh, think about it when you wake up in the morning. Think about it when you go to work. Think about it when you come back from school or college. This is the heart of everything. How do I come to know God? The righteous person will live by faith. How do I go on in the Christian life? The righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Now, this is so crucial that we, we need to understand what it means and we, do, we can do this using Habakkuk 2. Uh, but these, these verses, they spark a, a contrast. There's an antithesis of this statement. And we need to see both sides if we're to understand the, the heart of everything here. See, if the righteous live by faith, then the unrighteous will face judgment. If the righteous live by faith, then the unrighteous live uh, sorry, the uh, unrighteous will face judgment. And, that, and that's point one for us. The unrighteous person will face judgment. Uh, let's read from verse four. See, the enemy is puffed up. He desires are, his desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is greedy as the grave. And like death, he is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. Now, as we consider this first point, uh, we need to ask the question, what does it mean to be an unrighteous person? 
I imagine the world has its own ideas of who someone, who someone unrighteous might be. I guess there's, of course, the usual suspects, aren't they? The, the tyrants and the despots, Hitler, Stalin, Mao. Maybe the, the disgraced celebrities, Harvey Weinstein, Rolf Harris, or Bill Cosby, just to name a few. Perhaps fresh in people's minds this week are those two named killers of Brianna Gay. Uh, you may have seen their faces in the news. Murderers at just 16 years old. Surely it's these individuals who are the unrighteous. But the reality hits closer to home more than we would know or would like to know. And we can use Habakkuk 2 to see who the unrighteous really are. Now the Bible says the unrighteous are the wicked and sinful. Put another way, they are not right in God's eyes. And as King of kings and Lord of lords, God is the true judge who executes his justice with objectivity and integrity. As he looks upon the wicked and sinful, he justly declares them unrighteous. Now, in Habakkuk 2, the unrighteous are clearly Babylon. This enemy is puffed up and arrogant. Pride lurks behind every sinful thought, word or action. It is the desire for the self, self-gain, self-glory, self-worship. And for Babylon, so great was their pride and unconstrained was their power that their unrighteousness knew no bounds. We can see that from some of the the text. I'm going to point some verses out. Verse 6, they stole and extorted. Verse 8, they plundered and shed blood. Verse 9 and 10, they were in the business of self-preservation and at the same time plotting the ruin of others. Verse 12, they established themselves through injustice. Verse 15, they practiced shameful acts through drunkenness and nakedness. And verse 18, they created idols and trusted in them. Now Habakkuk paints a vivid picture of unrighteous Babylon. And we could look at these verses and think, well, I don't do those things. I don't live like Babylon. I'm not perfect, but I'm a relatively decent person. I don't hurt anyone or cause trouble. I don't steal or extort. I'm not violent. I abide by the laws, and I want people to live in peace. We could easily conclude that I'm not an unrighteous person. And that is the message of the world, isn't it? Yes, there are some bad people out there, but but most are good. But you see, this perspective contradicts what the Bible says about all of mankind. When Jesus met the rich young ruler, he said, why do you call me good? 
No one is good but God alone. And both the Old and New Testament align with Christ's words. Psalm 14, verse 3 says, All have turned away, all have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. And the Apostle Paul quotes these verses in his letter to the Romans. John used this verse uh, this morning. It's good to hear it again. See, Paul concludes that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, sin cannot be reduced to just sort of reprehensible or sordid acts. Now, if that were the case, then most of us would be exempt, wouldn't we? We don't do those things, most of us. But you see, sin goes much, much deeper. It sources from within a person. It is a heart issue. And Jesus teaches this in the Sermon on the Mount. See, murder is not just the shedding of blood, is it? It is anger of the heart. Adultery is not just sleeping around or cheating on your spouse. It is lust of the heart. And this obviously brings sin closer to home. Sin is much harder to deny when we get angry, or we think lustfully about someone, or even we are envious of what others have. And even when people's deeds have an appearance of goodness, we still cannot say that they are good in the truest sense. That God is merciful, and we see grace in humanity. So many people donate money, they support the needy, they, they help those who are sick. But even kindness is tainted by self in, the self-interest of sin. You see, you cannot call someone truly good unless it's done for the glory of God. And God looks at these so-called good deeds and sees self-centered, sinful hearts. Sin is an attitude of autonomy, self-entitlement, selfish rebellion. It is total rejection to God as creator and king. To not seek his glory, but seek our own is a vile offence because of how good and holy and faithful he is. And so the reality is, is that everyone is unrighteous. No one is right in God's eyes. Now, if we're honest about our sin, we should accept that our unrighteousness deserves justice. And that sobering truth highlights another important question. What does it mean to face God's judgment? In the context of Habakkuk, it it meant, certainly for Judah, facing judgment for their internal violence and injustices. Judah will face exile at the hands of the Babylonians. Uh, But the pride of the Babylonians would not go unpunished either. And the Lord pronounces five woes on the enemy. Now when woe is proclaimed in the Bible, it is to be taken seriously. When we see a woe, we go, woe. 
is it means do. See, Babylon will face God's retribution. All that they have wrought on others will be repaid to them. Again, let's look at some verses. So verse 7, the creditor will prey on the extorter. Verse 8, the plunderer will be plundered. Verse 9 to 11, they will face shame. Ruin will come upon them. Verse 12 to 14, their efforts are in vain. And they will come to know who God really is. And verse 15 to 17, the cup of God's wrath, that famous symbol of God's judgment being poured out, it's going to fall on Babylon. Glory will become shame. Now, historically, the judgment upon Babylon came from the Persian Empire. But this is a foreshadow of a greater judgment to come. The Bible promises that the Lord will come to judge the world and he will bring forth justice. His glory will be known. Verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. See, God will bring his holy retribution on the unrighteous. And as they have shut him out, the Lord will shut them out forever. That is justice. Uh, This is what one of the angels proclaims in in Revelation 16 in John's uh, vision. The angel says this, speaking of God, You are just in these judgments, O Holy One, you who are and who were. For they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. Now, no doubt, Habakkuk took great comfort in the news that Babylon would, at some point, face justice. Not that life was suddenly going to become all sunshine and roses. The years ahead would be tough. But they would come to an end. And for the Christian, we can have greater comfort with the judgment to come. Though the journey may be perilous, the end of the road will mean justice. As we were praying on Thursday evening for the persecuted church, our brothers and sisters around the world who are shunned, imprisoned, and killed, they will have justice. Even in this country, our our faith is being tested more and more. But we have great assurance that no matter how difficult life might become, those who oppose the gospel, those who oppose our Lord Jesus Christ, will face justice. Now, some of us might hear all this and think, how can we be comforted? If no one is good, if we're all unrighteous, are we not all destined 
to face God's justice. How can we be saved? And the answer, the righteous person will live by faith. Which takes us to our second point. The righteous person will live by faith. Let's read verse 4 again. See, the enemy is puffed up. He desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Now, like we did with the first point, we need to ask again, what, but this time, what does it mean to be a righteous person? What does it mean to be a righteous person? And again, I guess the world would have their own idea here, wouldn't they? I'm sure they would say a, a sort of the most law-abiding citizens are the righteous. But the Bible would say that the righteous is someone who is good and sinless. Someone right in the eyes of God. But again, here's the glaring problem. If no one is good, if all sin and fall short of the glory of God, if we all are declared unrighteous before the throne of God, then how can a person ever be righteous? Surely we kind of end up in a a fantasy or fictional world. Only people who live like that are made up. You know, it's a a Mary Poppins, isn't it, who's practically perfect in every way. No one lives like that. But here's the thing. People are not declared right with God on what they do. The righteous person will live by faith. Now, there's a a lot of confusion about what faith means, what faith is. Uh, First of all, it's, it's it's a gift that comes from God. We should make that clear. It's not an ability or something that's innate within ourselves. Uh, You know, often people will say, I I wish I had your faith. As though some people have it and uh, and some don't. You know, we could say someone's good at sport or or cooking or or drawing. You know, but others can't do those things. And they say, I wish I could play sport like you. I wish I could cook like you. I wish I could draw like you. I wish I had your faith. See, faith is not an ability given to some and not to others. Nor is it something I must sort of stir up within myself. Faith always demands an object. It needs trust. Now the words here in Habakkuk are a promise. A promise of what God will do. Verse 14 again. So the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The Lord promises to restore his world. He will bring salvation to his people and judgment upon his enemies. God will be glorified. That is the future and that is the message of the gospel. God's kingdom will come and Habakkuk was to respond in faith. To trust the word of God. To trust his promises. The righteous person will live by faith. And this is the same message for us. 
after 70 years of exile, Babylon fell. And yet we're still waiting for the earth to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. See, Jesus Christ has come. He said the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. He spoke again of a time where he would return and the unrighteous will be judged. The Lord's glory will fill the earth. The challenge for us, but will we believe it? Will we trust it? The righteous person will live by faith. Now, Habakkuk 2, verse 4, is not originally intended evangelistically to explain how you um, initially become right with God. It's an encouragement to the people of God to keep trusting him, to keep living by faith. But when Paul uses the verse in Romans 1 and Galatians 3, it's still a suitable application. Let me read Galatians 3, verse 13. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. See, Habakkuk 2 is a gospel message, the gospel message of future judgment and salvation. So trust in God's promises. Trust in Christ. Believe in him for the first time, if that's true for you. Believe in him. For the righteous will live. Spiritually speaking, they will come to life by faith. That's what marks out the people of God. Those who trust in Christ. Judah couldn't save themselves from the Babylonians. They needed to trust in God. Neither can we save ourselves from the judgment to come. We need to trust in Christ. That is how we are saved from God's judgment. That is how we are declared righteous by faith. And maybe this is where some of us need to start. If you think about those around you and you say, I wish I had your faith, well then Habakkuk 2 would encourage you to listen to the word. Listen to Jesus. Trust in Christ. Trust in his promises. That's where we, we, we're to look. And there's ways that you can do that. Come and speak to me and or others of the staff team that can help you on the, on, on the, perhaps the start of that journey. Books to read, gospels to take home, that kind of thing. But I would say that the most immediate application of, of, of Habakkuk 2, it's not about being made right with God. It's, it's about his people persevering. Verse 3 is a, a promise of the future. The revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. But Judah had to wait a long time. The people saw the true horror of the wickedness of the Babylonians, devastating their country, destroying their city, demolishing their temple. The trauma and stress 
of being taken into captivity. You know, the Babylonians looked unbeatable, formidable. But the Jews needed to remember God's promise. And through the 70 years of exile, they needed to remember that promise. The righteous lives by his faithfulness. So keep trusting. Keep trusting in the knowledge of this great promise. Now this tense uh, of this word, faithfulness, it's an ongoing act. Keep on living by faith. Now even today we're still waiting, aren't we? Jesus has already come, but only when he returns will his kingdom come. As the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Uh, the pastor, Vaughan Roberts, describes faith and faithfulness this way. He says, the way in is the way on. We come into the kingdom of God through faith in the promise of God. And we live as the people of God, as people of faith. Faith is the foundation and faithfulness is the superstructure. It's the life that flows from faith in God. And it is persistent day by day by day. So this is why Habakkuk 2 is an entirely appropriate verse to be quoted by the author of the Hebrews. Uh, you might like to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. I'll give you a moment to do that. You can find it on page 1,000, I think it's 1,209. Hopefully I've got the right number. I looked up earlier. So Hebrews chapter 10. And I'm going to read from verse 36. So let me give you some time to find that. Verse 36, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And by my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed but to those who have faith and are saved. In the book of Hebrews, Christians have been wavering, being massively persecuted. But the writer uses this verse to say that the final judgment and salvation Habakkuk speaks of will only come when Jesus comes. And Jesus will come. As he has said again and again and again and again. Now it might seem like a very long wait. But don't forget, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. He will most certainly come. But in the meantime, verse 38, my righteous one will live by faith. 
So keep persevering, even when it's tough. Like the heroes of Hebrew 11, they live out Habakkuk 2 verse 4. This is what Hebrews 11 verse 1 says over the page, I suspect. Now faith in, is confident in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. So let's pray that we might be like the ancients. That we might be worthy to stand alongside them. To persevere and remain faithful to God. Let's pray that for ourselves. But I think especially let's pray that for our brothers and sisters around the world who we know are going through some very difficult moments. The righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Let me close in prayer for us.